This is Queer Sri, and I'm Matt Bloom. I'm. <laughs> oh my god! I'm um, I'm Jake Pedigo, and I'm obviously drinking wine. <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Oh, that was bad. Um, um. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that again. No, I think that was perfect. Ah. Hey, so this week we have a bit of a special episode. Usually we cover two LGBTQ plus figures, but today we're going to spend the hour on the story of just one. Here's Matt Bloom telling the story of Matthew Shepard. Uh, there might be a couple tears tonight, I'm just going to say. Yeah. At least from my perspective. Wow. Yeah, and I don't want to get the expectation too high. I just want to lay that out there mm-hmm. and let you know that there were some tears putting this stuff together. Wow. Getting, getting information together. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Oh my god. Okay. How do we how, how do we how do we determine who goes first? You're going to go first. Well, I'm going to go first. Yeah. Why how did we decide that? I ju- I did. We're in my studio, Matt. These are my clothes so lining. So these are your roles. Okay. The edges. Okay, I'm going to go first. Okay. I th- I think I just realized that I have something in my bag that I also need to grab. Okay. Quickly. This is right. so dramatic. Okay. It yeah, I'll be. I'll, I, I'm just gonna grab it. Okay, and it's right here. Oh, <laughs> I didn't have to get up. Oh, oh. So, I did Matthew Shepard. I'm shook. Why? You're shook. Why? Why Matthew Sh- Shepard? Uh, because, um, I have been noticing there's been some news about him. Um, he, uh, recently there. It is the twentieth, I think, the twentieth anniversary of his of his death, yeah, of his murder, yeah. And um, I started noticing all that stuff, and it kind of bubbled up this phase that I went through in college, where I was like, I was obsessed with his story in in a way that was like really, I was really, I admired him and the work his family has done after yeah. his death, um, and obviously grieve his loss, you know, right. and. And I just thought, you know, it's such a good timing. Like, we're starting this podcast. Let's really dig into who this guy uh, was and continues to be through, you know, his legacy. Um, And so I kind of compiled his story. And I I think there's some surprising parts of his story that you probably don't know about. You probably don't know. I don't know how much you know about him. I mean... Not as much as I should. I saw uh, like a stage performance of the Laramie Project back in Illinois. Okay. I've never seen it. I read it though. And yeah, that's the play that they like wrote about his the town after his death. And stuff. Yeah, and it was. I don't know. I was young. I was probably like early teens or something. So it was probably like ten years ago. Yeah, and it was probably one of the first pieces of art one of the first pieces of storytelling that truly affected me. Really? That really hit me. I have to go see it. Yeah. I have to go see it. I have not seen it. Well, and it's it's just, again, I grew up with so much privilege that having something get to me like that was like a brand new experience. That It's like, oh, wow, this could happen. This shit does happen. So you probably got, I don't know how much of his story they share in that. And I feel like it's more focused on the town. It's more, it is, but like in a, reflections kind of way but anyway Got it. i am so excited because okay. i know i should know more yeah well you're about to learn a shit ton for me right now 
So um, I got most of my information from uh, a book that his mom wrote. And this book is called The Meaning of Matthew. Mm-hmm. And so she wrote this book and it's all, it's like Matthew's story and then what happened to him. And it's all from her perspective. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of what I'm about to tell you is from her perspective about him. Because he didn't, you know, he didn't write a book about him, his story. And he he's not here to tell us this story. She's kind of become the torchbearer of his story now and to still to this this day so yeah a lot of this is from this book the meaning of matthew a little bit from the internet um and then some actually from the coloradoans recent coverage they've, oh yeah they've, they've done this like the, the colorado is um the newspaper in fort collins and they um are doing this whole series about him in the 20th yeah. anniversary um so i got some information from that as well and uh okay so okay. I'm going to start with the story. Okay. So Judy Shepard is her name. That's Ma- Matthew Shepard's m- mother. She was uh, born in 1952 and grew up in Glen Rock, Wyoming, which is like this super tiny little town. Her dad was the uh, postmaster. Her mom like worked for the postmaster too. They worked together, which I thought was really cute. She was the perfect, st- like she was in the student student government, the pep squad, she was the youngest, um, and she went to the University of Wyoming in Laramie, and that's where she met Dennis Shepard, who's Matthew's dad. Mm-hmm. Um, he's from Scottsbluff, Nebraska, and also a really, really tiny town. Um, they met at a um, Christmas party. Within a year and a half, they were married. Cute. And so um, an interesting thing was they actually decided that they didn't want to have kids. They were like, we're not going to have kids. Um, and they were like living their life. And then they were like 28, 29. And he comes home one day from work randomly. It's like, we're having kids. Like, let's get going. I don't know what she literally she didn't explain what it was. Huh. But um, they decided to have kids. So um, she gets pregnant and she's supposed to have a Christmas Christmas baby, but her water broke on the morning of November 30th. And yeah, so a month early. And Dennis was out of town for work. And so she literally drove her ass to the hospital after her water broke, which I thought was like amazing. I don't know how you could do that. Yeah. Um, And so on December 1st, 1976, Matthew Shepard was born. And he was early, a premature baby. He was under five pounds. Um, he had a lot of, um, medical problems when he was really young. He had jaundice. Um, they had to leave him at the hospital to get treated for the jaundice. And, um, Judy had some postpartum depression that she um, writes about in the book, um, which I thought was really beautiful. He was allergic to milk. Matthew was allergic to milk. Um, he had a lot of weird health issues when he was really young. Um, but Judy says that. Uh, after sort of that phase, he was able to sort of grow into his young toddler self um, and became fun. And he always wanted to be the center of attention. Like that was the number one thing that she knew about him hmm. growing up. Um, and that's important to note for later in the story. Okay. Um, so then, okay, a couple of years later, um, she has her younger brother, his younger brother, Logan, Um and then at the, around that time, she also starts noticing that Matthew is really – she uses Matt and Matthew interchangeably, interchangeably mm. which is like a Matthew thing, I feel like, being a Matt. 
Um, oh my gosh, some people you're call a it, Matt. I am a, I know, I know. I didn't even think Just about it. Just to let it. you know, my name's Matt. <sighs> oh my gosh. So this is also like a whole nother level of shit. So she starts noticing that Matthew is this really empathetic kid. And so like when um, there was this one story where his grandma like was really sad about something and he just would come up and sit on her lap and be like, grandma, what's going on? Like he yeah. just understood people. And um, he had a habit of like putting pretty rocks in neighbors' mailboxes. <laughs> and um, in high school, he was voted a peer counselor. Uh, he started acting, like he was in- involved with theater. <laughs> um, he also volunteered in political campaigns. Like this guy was so involved in stuff. He was doing everything apparently. Yeah. Um, and Judy said that she had an inkling like a mother's instinct that he was gay when he dressed up as Dolly Parton for Halloween two years in a row. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as 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 every mother goes through. As with every son. mother knows when you dress up as Dolly Parton yeah. for two years in a row, you'll get give you one year, and that's <laughs> that's not gay, but two in a row. Um. And at this part of the she story, she starts to mention that, you know, she didn't know anybody who was gay. So she um, kind of have this thing that I think a lot of people, parents, and maybe our parents' generation have, which is they just didn't know that were they, nobody they knew hmm. was gay, at least hadn't come out. And so she didn't really have an opinion about it. And she just accepted that maybe he's gay, maybe he's not. And no matter what, I love him. And like, he's, he's my son. Um, it's also the early 80s at this point and AIDS is in full swing so yeah. you can imagine like a parent thinking oh my god my son's gay and looking on the news there's AIDS you know I just can't imagine being in that time Yeah, and being a parent and wanting the best for your kid but also being fearful of you know what you've been fed by news and stuff like that Right. Um, so that kind of sets the scene so this is when at this point, you know, life is good. They're in Casper, Wyoming. They're, like, living their lives, growing up. Things are great. Um, and then there's this, like, huge crash in the oil industry. And Dennis is working, the father. He's working in the oil industry. And so he has to – he loses his job. Dennis mm-hmm. loses his job. And um, in 1992, he gets a new job in New Mexico, and he moves away from the family. So they get separated. Um and this is when Matt is in high school, and they all really hated that because Dennis, the dad, was gone for months at a time, and uh, it was a really rough year, she was, she was saying. Um, and so they all get together, and they're like, okay, if he has to move, let's just get the best job that we can get, and that job ended up being in Saudi Arabia. So, yeah, uh, Judy and Dennis are like, look, kids, we're moving to Saudi Arabia for dad's job. Um, and we're putting you in boarding school. So Matt goes to school. They pick a school in Switzerland and they look at the, the brochures and the flyers and they get there and they drop them off. And it's not what they expected at all. It's this like shitty school. Hmm. The dorms are cold and dark um, and gross. And Matt turns to her when... Um, Judy and Matt are there and she's dropping her son off at yeah. school and Matt was like I don't want to stay here like I really really don't want to stay here but she's just like it's okay it's going to be fine we have to do this just just stay here stick it out 
um, and she leaves him there. So he starts finishing high school at this school in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she's living in Saudi Arabia. And then Logan is like in a school in Minnesota or something. Like they're all spread out at this point. So they yeah. basically the family just gets uh, scattered at this point. Like little Wyoming town. Now they're just all over the world. Mm. And... Uh, because the calls, this is the early 1990s, so the calls were super expensive. Oh, yeah. He, they stopped talking. They, they kind of lost contact because they would only talk every once in a while on the phone. Hmm. And um, whenever he would come to visit them in Saudi Arabia, he kind of started becoming more of a rebel. Like Judy noticed that he started smoking cigarettes and he changed his hair a lot. Hmm. And... Um, he kind of had an attitude and so he sort of changed in that time when they were separated and this is kind of the beginning of like matt sort of the beginning of his um what i learned has became sort of like a spiral like a downward spiral for him Hmm. um and uh around this time the, the the students at this school in switzerland that he was at um, they they did excursions and so they travel around Europe. Um, they would uh, go on day trips because people in Europe do that and it's really easy to get around. Sure, it was the nineties. It was the nineties. Yeah, gas was cheap. Trains, planes, automobiles, whatever you want. Um, and uh, so there was this one trip to Morocco that him Rabat and Marrakech, which is like the two biggest cities in Morocco. And, um, he goes to Morocco with some of his friends and they go out and they have a great time. Do whatever you do in Morocco. I don't know what that is. I've never been like smoke some hookah. Yeah. I don't know. I imagine lots of spices. I imagine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and he goes out for, so, um, this is going back to the center of attention thing and the really social thing that I was telling you about. Mm-hmm. Um, he decides after a night out to that he's not done yet. He wants to go out. His friends are like, we're going to bed. He's like, no, I want to go out. And so he goes out and he gets raped in an alley by three men in Morocco. Yeah. I'd, I'd never heard that. I'd yeah. never heard that. Yeah. Um, did he Did he tell his mom this, I guess? Yes. So... Um, after that happened, he called his mom in Saudi Arabia, and he's like, "Mom, I was raped in Morocco, and like, obviously, horrible situation." Yeah. Um, and so Judy's in fucking Saudi Arabia, and he's in Morocco, and so she's like, "I can't get there because the flights and everything." And so a teacher from the school comes down and stays with him, oh, wow. and like he gets tested for HIV he gets like checked out and he's good physically yeah but after that he starts suffering from PTSD um he's not doing acting anymore apparently he had a really bad problem with nightmares where he started waking up and he was he would scream and um he just had a really he'd really bad PTSD after this which of course like I mean I can't even imagine yeah how Um, old was he uh, this was he was in high school, so yeah. like late high school, Jesus. and he graduated in 1995. So after um, this event, which he must have been like 18 or something, yeah. I mean 17, 18 years old, he graduates high school in 1995. 
um, and he enrolls at Catawba College in North Carolina. Hmm. Um, and he studies theater and English. And one night, Judy gets a call. It's like 3 a.m. in Saudi Arabia, 7 p.m. in North Carolina. Um, the time difference is huge. Um, and he comes out to her. That's when he comes out is oh. on that phone call. And before then, he just sort of hit it. And during the rape, I don't know how he explained it during the rape, but yeah. um, he came out to her at that point. And um, it, that sort of Judy and him bonded over that. Yeah, They got pretty close. And of course, she was you know really accepting. And he asked her not to tell his dad. And so she's like, don't tell my dad. But then she says that like he told she told him immediately huh. after because I guess parents I don't know if that's a thing parents do if they have this like code of secrecy between parents and stuff but I thought that was kind of funny to hear that she was like I promise not to tell your dad I promise yeah. and then he, she like fucking tells him yeah <laughs> right? of course. um and he was cool with it too he was just like all right well I'll, I'll get used to it which I think is a total dad response it's exactly what my dad said yeah to me yeah he was like I just need time to get used to it and I'm like Okay, I guess that's oh not gosh. bad. <laughs> do we wanna do we wanna go on a tangent about my coming out story to my dad? Was it similar? No, not at all. Oh. It'll take ten seconds. Okay, yeah, go I for it. I said something about my boyfriend to him, assuming my mom had told him. <laughs> and he said, Boyfriend? And I said, Yeah. He went, You're gay? And I went, <laughs> yeah. And he went, All right, and then he turned the volume back up on the TV. End of story. Literally end of story. Anyway interesting so he matt was like i don't want dad to know like i'm just not ready to tell him Hmm. um keep it a secret and she's like i promised keep it a secret and then she tells her husband which i feel like you just do as a parent yeah um i get it um but then uh so things start getting a little bit worse for him um he stopped going to classes he drops out of college he moves to raleigh north carolina and he got a job at a video store there um remember those yeah um i don't think it was blockbuster it was like one of like a weird was it family video i don't think it was family video i think it was a i think it was like some local like i don't know the name yeah it's probably in the book Um, check out the book meaning of matthew um uh okay and she says at this point he kind of became a club kid in raleigh which I kind of get what that might be like. Like yeah. he goes out a lot, you know. He works at the video store. You go Does out. Does some ecstasy. Um, exactly. He started abusing prescription drugs. Um, he's drinking a lot. Hmm. It's not a healthy place. Um, and then after like a year there, he moves back to Wyoming. Um, and at this time, Judy moved back to Wyoming too. Oh, so they're from, li- yeah. from Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And so I don't know if it was she wanted to be with him. I'm, I'm sure that was part of it. But they move into the same apartment complex, but they have, like, separate apartments. So oh. they're living in the same apartment complex. Yeah. But, like, neighbors. So he kind of have his, has his own life. She's, like, studying for some, like, master's degree or yeah. something like that. Oh, my God. That's exactly the relationship I want with my mom. I, right? Yeah. I, right? I mean... Just be neighbors. That'd Doesn't be that sound cute great? as hell? Yeah, it, yeah. it's it, it, and it, and she says that it was a really good time. Like they yeah. they had a good relationship. Um, he kind of had his own life, and I think he was partying a lot. Sure. Kind of the rally life was still happening. Yeah, well, and own. and she was like concerned about him by this point, right? Like I'm oh, sure it was at this so point, comforting to like, at this have point. Him so close. I think part of the move back to Wyoming was definitely this desire to keep a watchful eye over him because he had kind of, um. 
lost control. I feel like hmm. it, it's she makes it seem like he he really was struggling, and I think that the biggest thing was his sexuality. Like she makes it seem like the in in her book that he could not come to terms with who he was and that he was gay and that he hadn't come out to everybody like his dad and the rest of his family. Yeah. And so he sort of, uh, instead of, I don't know, coming out, he, um, pursued these, you know, sort of damaging thing activities, I guess that's, that's what she makes it seem like. And, uh, and meanwhile, he's still the same, like outgoing, friendly, guy just with some demons you know i mean that kind of thing yeah um and so after doing that for a year i don't know where he worked when he was in wyoming with her but he moves to wyoming or denver so he goes i miss the big city i miss like the rally big city life moves to denver with a friend and starts working at a customer service line for vitamins oh yeah so he starts working at a phone bank which is like he gets a job, but his depression and his alcohol abuse kind of continue. Judy is like, I'm getting out of Wyoming. She moves back to Saudi Arabia um, with Dennis. And um, this is, uh, I think, when things start getting really, really bad with Matt. Like she gets a call that um, he hadn't shown up to work or something. And apparently he like hadn't, there was this episode where he hadn't left his apartment for days and um a relative who was in the area came over and there was like rotten food around and like they had to take him to the hospital and Mm. um he was in really really bad shape and denver just wasn't working for him either so he had all these moves and like i feel like i didn't realize how much i feel like he i i get that you know i get that desire to move yeah to chase that sort of okay something new will help me with my mental illness or with my, you know, something I don't want to talk about or blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I get that urge, yeah. you know? It just is like a fresh start. Yeah. But I feel like running away from your problems, and this isn't me in any way, like, saying that he did something wrong or, like, that kind of thing, but something I've learned is that you just kind of have to, like, face your problems, you know? Hmm. Running away from them isn't... is is it works for the short term, but ultimately you, you are you, you and your problems are you, you got to work through them, you know? Anyway, that was like a deep. Oh my God. No, you're talking, you, Oh my God. You are talking directly to me because I ended up in Colorado running away from my problems. Yeah. Running away from my mental illness. Holy shit. Yeah. What are you doing to me right now? I... Okay. Can you, <laughs> can we, can we pause for just a second so I can adjust my seat? You, just adjust it. You don't have to pause. Well, just, I mean, I don't want it. it to be in you can, there. You can cut it out. We can cut it out. It, not if you're in the middle of talking. Well, then I'll shut up. So that's the that's ex- all right. I'm gonna stop exactly talking while Jake while Jake adjusts his seat at yeah. this pivotal moment in the story. Yeah. All right. Are you done adjusting? Yeah. Okay. So there was this really bad. She gets a call. And she's like, "Oh my god!" Like, my son is in the hospital, but she can't do anything. She's in Saudi Arabia. She's like eight thousand miles away, which is I can't even imagine how shitty that must be. Because so she moves back to Saudi Arabia when he moves to Denver. Because oh, okay. they were in that apartment situation together. Yeah. She moves back to Saudi Arabia. He's in Denver. He's kind of like having bad times in Denver. And she gets a call. He's really, really bad. He's in the hospital. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, it's just, 
yeah, it's it, it just is she does not paint a, a bright picture at this point. Um, it just is she's really worried about him. They've tried a lot of things. And finally, she gets on a plane, comes back to Saudi Arabia or comes back from Saudi Arabia and helps um, him move to Laramie, Wyoming. And this is 1998. And um, this is like supposed to be. Okay, he's going to do well. We're going to drop him off in Laramie. He's going to take classes at University of Wyoming, where, where she went to college, where she met Dennis. Um, it's going to be great. And so at kind of that same time that they move, they put together this big family vacation. And they're going to go to Yellowstone, and they're going to um, you know, do the national parks thing and see some family. And uh, Logan comes in from you know his boarding school. And uh, they're, they go to bed one night. They're in this motel. Um, Logan and Matt are in a room, and Judy and Dennis are in a, a different room. And they're like, okay, like we're going to get up really early. We're going to go to Yellowstone. We're going to have an amazing day. And um, they wake up in the morning, and they call Logan and Matt. Judy calls Logan and Matt's hotel room, and Logan answers. And she's like, you guys ready to go to Yellowstone? And he's like, Matt's uh, in jail. What? Matt's in fucking jail. And um, apparently the night before, Matt had kind of pulled a Morocco situation. He's like, I want to go out. You know, I want to, I'm not done with the night. I want to sneak out. So he goes out and he goes to this bar in wherever the fuck they were, Wyoming, near Yellowstone. And he um, uh, like makes friends with the bartender. He is this like super social guy. He can go anywhere and make friends. Mattis. Mattis, yeah. yeah. And uh, so these people at the bar were like, hey, we're having a bonfire. Come to the bonfire with us. Yeah. And it's this couple and then him and this dude. And then he, the dude think he like, I, this is kind of up for, nobody really knows what happens. Sure. But the guy thought he, Matt was hitting on him and Matt said he wasn't hitting on him, but there was confusion. And the guy punches Matt in the face and they get in this fight. Um, and there's this really, really big fight. Police are called and, um, he gets taken to jail for the fight. I don't, I don't know the details other than that. And, um, apparently Judy said that this kind of triggered the Morocco trauma that he had from the rape. And it was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back for him because, uh, Laramie was supposed to be you know, on the up and up for him. But yeah. apparently this incident, because he got punched, some physical assault here, he, um, uh, this was sort of the beginning of the end for him. Um, just as far as like his ability to just function, it seems mm. like. Uh, and they continued the vacation. This was like a several week long vacation. And apparently he also came out to his dad after that. Hmm. And so, he came out to the family. He came out to Logan. Um, somehow he did that, which I'm like really proud of him for doing through all of this crazy stuff that yeah. must have just been so hard. Um, apparently, during a family barbecue during this vacation, he was he like got really drunk and like passed out, and he just was not doing well. Like he was a mess. Like he was just really needed help. Um, and Judy and Dennis didn't know what to do i mean they they tried everything i mean she in her book she writes about all the stuff that they tried to do and help him and 
I feel like I, I just, I don't know what you do when somebody really does have this many problems with mental illness and alcohol. And, um, I, I just think that so many families probably go through this yeah. same thing with somebody in their family that you love so much, but they just, they, for some reason, maybe it's something in their past or whatnot. They cannot shake it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they just keep finding themselves in these situations. And it's just, this is just one case yeah. of all things that happen through all this. Do you, I, I just keep thinking about my mom and I keep thinking about my experience. Oh my God. Le, Judy, I, th- I see my mom in Judy yeah. and her, because my mom is an amazing mom and I think Judy is an amazing mom. Yeah. Um, and so I see, I feel like she is such a good mom. And so all moms kind of have this, they want so much, they want the best for their kid, but they will admit that they will say what's happening, you know? Yeah. They will, they will be like, my son is fucking up and I yeah. love him and I want him to get better. I just don't know how to do that with somebody who's 22. You know, someone who is yeah. an adult, they have to learn. And there's something I don't know much about parenting, but there, there, there are things that I feel like at some point you just, and, and something that she really wrestles with is how much to help him. I mean, how much do you help your 22 year old son at this point? Yeah. You know, there is a degree of you're an adult and you need to get your shit together. Yeah. But there's also, you know, you have a, a illness that I need to help get you help for For and so at this part in the story like there are just a lot of questions about what to do with him and how to help him and nobody really knows the answers yeah um and it's just really sad um absolutely well and i think um i went back to my hometown for the funeral of my half brother's half brother Mm -hmm. Um, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And he wasn't someone I was close to, but he was someone my like half siblings were. My Mm. family's complicated. And my mom said one of the most heartbreaking things to me. Since she didn't know him very well at all either, she felt so bad that she saw this problem. She saw something that was emotionally affecting her kids. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was the first time she didn't know how to help. She didn't. She knew she couldn't really do anything to help. Yeah. And that, I don't know, with my mom and probably like most moms being such like empathetic people, yeah. people who are seeing their mm-hmm. kids' lives through their kids' eyes. Mm-hmm. It's heartbreaking. It's really heartbreaking. It's really heartbreaking. Yeah. yeah. I I, it, this was so eye-opening. This book is so eye-opening. Like, yeah. hearing it from the perspective of a mother, I mean, it's just, I, it is so, I think that makes a book so much more impactful. Yeah. Because it, I mean, women are just amazing. Women are fucking amazing. Um, True. So, um, okay. So after this really, like, vacation that kind of goes bad, they drop him back off at, uh, in Laramie, um, and he joins the LGBT Alliance um, at the University of Wyoming, um, and he makes friends, uh, and he's doing okay. Um, and he, you know, starts. Uh, they give him the family car at this point, and hmm. so he's able to take. He's able to drive down to Fort Collins, where we are right now. Yeah. Um, to go out to some of the gay bars here, Nightingales and the Tornado Club. Oh. Neither of which 
exist here anymore, yeah. I, I believe. Okay, so Judy and Dennis, so they're still supporting him financially. And um, one day she tries to call him from Saudi Arabia, and his phone is disconnected. And uh, apparently a relative tells her that, like, his phone, he didn't pay his phone bill. And um, apparently he's, like, paying for chauffeurs to go out with the money that they're giving him for rent. And so he's not managing his money well. He's just kind of spending it on partying and going out. Yeah. Um, which, been there, done that. Like, I, dude, I, I have done the same thing. Um, but Judy kind of, this is kind of when she reaches her breaking point. Because they've taken him to therapists, they've given him money, they have helped him move, they've done so much for him, but the phone disconnecting, like that incident, um, like she just couldn't understand why he just couldn't get his life together. Yeah. Um, and then at some point she reaches him and they like cuss each other out and it's this really bad conversation um, and uh, it just was kind of like wow, it, things are bad. Things are really, really bad at this point. Yeah. Um, so they don't talk for a couple of days and uh, he calls her back a couple of days later, make a little small talk. He tells her, hey, I'm um, going to go to this meeting and I'm going to plan my nas- uh, for the National Coming Out Day with the LGBT Alliance that he joined. Um on October 11th and uh, he says I love you mom and she says I love you and they hang up and that was their last conversation hmm yeah the last conversation so um, a couple days later Judy's sleeping in Saudi Arabia and it's like 5 in the morning she gets a call and uh, it's a hospital in Fort Collins and they're like your son is here it's really really bad we can't tell you a lot of the details you need to get here as soon as possible. He's on life support. Hmm. Um, and she's, meanwhile, in like Saudi Arabia with her husband on some like oil resident place where people who work in the oil industry live. They're like 8,000 miles away and they're like, fuck. They're, I'm obviously, understandably panicked at this point. Um, and they drop everything, they arrange the flights to the U to Colorado um, and to pick Logan up and they don't really know a lot of the details. They just know that it's really, really bad. He's on life support. Hmm. Um, they don't know what happened to him. They don't know, you know, it, really what he looks like if he's awake, if he like, they just don't know a lot. Um, and so apparently they get off the gate and in, in Minneapolis, they're picking up Logan um, and she sees a headline, the New York Times in the airport, and it says, gay man beaten and left for dead, two are charged. So imagine, like, coming off an airplane and seeing this headline about your son. Yeah. Yeah, and you really not knowing much. Yeah. Yeah. Did, so she knew? She knew it was about him? She knew it was about him. Huh. She saw it, and she was like, that's my son. And she's like, why are they using gay? I mean, why is the gay in the headline? Yeah. Um, uh, who are the two people? You know, there's just, like I said, a lot of questions at this point. So they fly to Denver. It's a really, as you can imagine, horrible waiting, the agonizing wait. I'm sure it yeah. was just, I can't even imagine having to just fly, like sit on a plane for like two hours just to, and not knowing what's happening. Um, and when they land in Denver, 
a flight attendant hands him a note and set and it says to um, stay on the plane because there's reporters waiting outside. There's like a bunch of reporters. The story's gone now. It's kind of blowing up at this point um, that there's this gay man that was beaten in um, Wyoming. And uh, so she's like, what, what, what's going on? I'm just like, I don't even, she was not even thinking about that. Um, and so they literally, um, they like walk off of the jet bridge. Like, I don't even know, how, I don't even know what this is like, but they just get onto the tarmac and then they have like security vans driving them. So reporters aren't like trying to talk to them. And, um, she's like losing her shit at this point. I'm, I mean, I don't blame her. I would have lost mine a long time ago. Um, and so they get a car up to Fort Collins, which is like an hour drive. I'm sure that was awful as well. And, um, then they have to park, like they have to park at a convenience store across the street from Poudre Valley Health here in Fort Hmm. Collins. Um, because there's reporters in the lobby too. Like there's reporters in the, um, uh, hospital lobby. Sure. And so, um, they still don't know anything about what happened but they're being shuffled around and they park at this convenience store and then the security comes and um they go through a back door of the hospital and then they like meet the doctor and they get briefed on a situation and um the doctor says that he was in he's in a coma um there are severe injuries to his skull and his brain stem he couldn't breathe without he can't breathe breathe without a ventilator and his temperature was fluctuating between 98 and 106 degrees and they couldn't initially go into the room to see him because the doctor said that there was a chance that he might be able to pick up on um their energy and that their like despair and anxiety might like stop his recovery which i've never heard a doctor say that no but but apparently the doctor told her that told um, judy and dennis that so they calm down as much as they can and they walk in and they see this um they see matt i mean in the hospital bed and his head is completely covered in bandages there's tubes everywhere his face is swollen um there's stitches all over his face and she says that they couldn't really tell if it was him um until in the because he was so beat up yeah um and uh they the only way that, that she could tell it was him was because he has like a bump on his left ear like a little bump on it and she was able to see the bump on his left ear hmm. yeah um which I was like, of course, only a mom, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, so the full report is that Matt had 30 bruises, abrasions, and broken bones, several fractures um, where his skull had literally crushed in on itself. His brainstem was completely damaged, and that your brainstem controls everything. It's like your breathing, your heartbeat, your temperature, literally like your life. Um, and the doctor's like, he's, there's n- almost no chance he's going to wake up. And so on top of that, I mean, this just gets, I mean, this, it gets even worse. So um, she's like, wow, my son is probably going to die. And uh, they, as a family, had actually talked about what would happen, which is amazing because I haven't talked to my family about this, but they had all talked apparently about what to do if one of them died. Oh, yeah. And 
Matt really wanted to be an organ donor. So she's like, okay, so is that still possible? And then the doctor comes back and he's like, well, we did a blood test and we found out he's HIV positive. Oh, I didn't know that either. Yeah. So um, he can't be an organ donor. Yeah. No. And so, yeah, it's like double whammy. Like he can't be an organ donor. He's HIV positive. Like there's so many questions going through her mind. And um, then these two deputies walk in, like these two sheriff's deputies and Rob De- Debris with the Albany County Sheriff's Department, which I assume is like Laramie. And then there's Jeff Burry with the Laramie Police Department. Hmm. And they kind of fill her in on some of the details of what happened. Like they didn't give her a lot of the details at that point. This is like an hour after she got there. And uh, apparently on Wednesday evening, which I think was like a day or two before Judy and Dennis got there, a student of University of Wyoming, Aaron Kreefels, was mountain biking and he um, fell off his bike and he got up and then he sees this fence. This is near Laramie. And uh, he sees this fence and then he sees what he thinks is a scarecrow tied to the fence. And he's like, that's weird. There's a scarecrow. It's like fallen over and he gets closer and then he sees like his hair and he realizes it's like not a scarecrow. It's a human. And um, Matt's hands were tied to the barbed wire fence. And he, and then this kid calls the hospital. I can't even imagine you know, just coming upon this. Um, and uh, basically that's how they, you know, get the police there. This, this student finds him. Um, and the detective tells Judy, this is in the hospital, that they have two suspects. Um, Aaron McKinney and Russell Henderson. And they thought it was him because them, because they um, had been cited for another assault the same night. Hmm. Right. So we'll get to that in a second. Um, And when they searched Aaron McKinney's truck, they found Matt's shoes, this black shoes, his ATM card that had his name on it. And... um, so basically they were like, okay, this is probably related. Like they, I mean, there must be, it can't be a coincidence that his stuff is in his car and these guys, you know, were charged with another assault. Um, and meanwhile, like they, Judy and Dennis have no idea like that the news has, is like national news at this point that like Matthew Shepard was beaten up and it's on the front page of the New York Times. Ellen DeGeneres ga- gives a speech on the steps of the cap- U.S. Capitol about it. Um, thousands of people march through Fifth Avenue, New York City. There are, pe- there are gatherings in Laramie. I'm sure there are tons of more, tons more that I didn't find. Um, and there were rallies to try and get like new hate crime bills going on. This is like within a couple of days after the new- this news comes out. Um, and then apparently there were protests against this thing, Amendment 2, which Colorado voters um, passed that year or like that year before that repealed anti-discrimination laws uh, for sexual orientation in Denver, Boulder and Aspen. Hmm. And so there are all these protests about that. Um, and <laughs> the so the and the hospital's PR person had quit the week before 
And so the CEO, he starts like becoming their best friend during this time when he's in the hospital. Who's best friend? Uh, Judy and Dennis's. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so he sends little updates out to the public because everybody wants to know what's happening with Matt. And so he's in the hospital for a couple of days and Judy and Dennis, like, we don't want to talk to the media. Um, and like, we really don't want to do that. We're just trying to spend time with Matt because he's just sort of a vegetable at this point. Like he's just on life support. He's yeah. barely hanging on. And they send out this statement and it says, this is October 10th. Um, we want to thank the American public for their kind thoughts about Matthew and their fond wishes for his speedy recovery. We appreciate your prayers and goodwill. And we know they are something Matthew would appreciate too. Matthew is a very special person and everyone can learn important lessons from his life. All of us who know Matthew see him as he is a very gen kind and gentle soul. He is a strong believer in humanity and human rights. Um, and then they, it kind of goes on and just like talks about how he treats people the same and that this is like the one thing they want him people to know about Matt is that he just loves people and that he treats everyone the same. Um, and after they put out that statement, like a couple of days later, he dies. He dies on October 12th at 12.53 a.m. Um, and uh, at that point, Judy and Dennis call the detectives and they're like, this is a murder. This is not just an, an attack. This is a murder. And they want to press charges against Aaron McKinney and Russell Henderson. Um, so they start an investigation into what happened that night. Um, and they are able to interview the bartender at the at, at a bar. They're able to um, interview both McKinney and Henderson because they'd been um, apprehended from, from a different assault that night. And so basically what happened that night from these interviews is is this. So after he was planning for the LGBT alliance thing um, that he was telling his mom about, he goes out again um, by himself. And he drives to the Fireside Lounge in Laramie. And he gets to the bar. He orders a Heineken. And um, there were like 20 other people there. And then McKinney and Henderson walk in and they order a pitcher of beer and they pay for it with quarters and dimes, which I thought was really weird. Yeah. Just like, ugh, I don't know. Um, and this is a picture of them, by the way. I wanted to show you. Hmm. Just a picture of um, Russell Henderson and Aaron McKinney. Uh, Why do is, you want to show me? I just want to like give you a visual of like these guys because they're creepy. Huh. They're like really scary. Yeah. Yeah. So that's them. And um so they they kind of look like they just look creepy. Like they look like those guys that you just want to avoid all, at all costs. But of course Matt because he's super friendly, um like he plays pool with them at the bar, he starts talking to them, and then like this next part is kind of like no one's ever really pinned down what happened. Somehow he ended up in their car. But they don't know if McKinney and Henderson wanted to rob him and, like, they wanted to, like, get him in their, their car so they could rob him. They don't know if Matt was just, like, really drunk and he needed a ride home. And they're like, sure, we'll give you a ride home. But somehow he ended up in the car. And they leave the bar. It's, like, uh, around 1145. And 
they get in the car and it's like Henderson is driving and uh, McKinney's in passenger and then Matt's in the middle. It's like a truck and he's sitting oh, in the yeah. middle and he's really short and he's small um, compared to these guys. And apparently, and so McKinney alleges that when they're driving, Matt start, starts hitting on him, basically like grabbing his crotch, licking his ear. Um, and Henderson, the guy driving, says he didn't see any of that. Any of that. Hmm. But McKinney says that Matt was hitting on him. And so basically McKinney starts like punching him and he's like, there's, you know, I'm not gay and like, we're going to rob you. And, um, so they're like driving in the car and this guy's beating Matt up. And I, I don't know how that works. Like, I don't know how you drive a car and also have a fight happening in it at the same time, but it's happening. And they get to this, um, street outside of Laramie and it's like near Walmart. It's not that far from a a neighborhood and they pull over and um, they ask Matt to hand over his wallet. And then Matt's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And then this guy McKinney like hits him with his pistol. Like he pistol whips him. And um, then they like keep driving or something. And then they get to the end of this road and then like McKinney drags Matt out of the truck um, Matt puts up a fight, um, and they're like fighting outside of the truck and Henderson is just watching. Um, and then McKinney is kind of the boss. Like he's like in charge of stuff with Henderson. Hmm. So he's like, get me, get the rope from the back of the truck. So the guy, he go gets, he goes to get a rope. They tie Matt to the fence and they like continue beating him up at this point. Like they do not stop. And, and it gets really bad. And Henderson is at this point saying like McKinney stop stop beating him up um but McKinney doesn't stop and he doesn't stop apparently because he's scared that Matt is going to remember him none of this makes sense to me this is just what he the interview he told you know during the trial and uh he asks and I thought this was really sad but he, like he asks Matt if he can read the license plate on the car and Matt says that he can like he reads the the license plate number Six six five AD apparently, and that is apparently what sends McKinney over the edge, and he hits him like in the head three times, and then that's what the neurologist said was like what the final blow was was like those three strikes, mm. and so literally this guy this fucking asshole McKinney like just beats him up, and they leave him, and they drive away, and Matt's tied to the fence. And they get to downtown Laramie and they stop Henderson and McKinney and they stop at this intersection. Um, and there are these two guys, Jeremy Herrera and Emiliano Morales. And they're like out slashing tires. I thought that was really weird, but they're just out like being shitheads. Yeah. And so they get in a fight with McKinney and Henderson and, uh, that's when the police get called and that's when McKinney and Henderson get caught. They get caught for that fight mm. that same night. And so they get um, – or actually, I'm sorry. So only Henderson gets caught. McKinney runs away. And so McKinney, like, goes back home, and he's, like, telling his girlfriend, like, holy shit, this night's crazy. And she's like, you have blood on your hands and stuff. And he's like, I think I killed this guy. Oh, my God. And she's like, well, we have to call the police. And she, he's like, no, I don't want to fucking call the police. 
And I just, I like don't even care about either of them. I just, I literally, <laughs> I don't. But <laughs> um, the, <laughs> I thought this was really, I thought this was indicative of how like stupid they are. So apparently Henderson was at the hospital because he had some injuries. He'd been arrested. The officer oh, right, takes right. him to the hospital. And, um, uh, H- Henderson's like, call my girlfriend and tell her I'm okay. So the officer calls his girlfriend and he, and then his girlfriend's like, is Aaron there too? Is he okay? And that's what links hmm. Henderson and McKinney together that night is apparently sure. the cop hears that. So they're able to, to make sure they're together tonight. They can link them together. And, um, uh, they go to like McKinney's house and they search his truck and that's where they find the shoes and stuff. Matt's shoes and his ATM card. And there's blood like all over the truck and stuff. And they were like this. There's more that happened here. It's not just the fight downtown. Right. Um, And obviously that was the beat. Like they had killed Matthew Shepard. Um, and... So after uh, he died, after Matt died, um, Judy's hometown paper comes out with an editorial denouncing hatred that led to Matt's murder. They're like every business in Casper, Wyoming puts up these posters that are like equality posters. Um, McKinney and Henderson get arrested and um, they're initially charged with attempted murder, kidnapping and aggravated robbery. And after um, Matthew's death, these charges were upgraded from attempted murder to first degree murder, which I think is like were like for sure meditated like you want to do it, I guess. Yeah. And um so they were eligible for the death penalty. Um and uh basically they go to trial and there's this really long trial and um the girlfriends plead to being like accessories to the murder because they, I, I guess they got tied up in it somehow at the hmm. end there. So on April 5th, 1999, Henderson avoided going to trial when he pled guilty to murder and kidnapping. Um, and of, in order to avoid the death penalty, he agreed to testify against McKinney mm-hmm. and was sentenced to two consecutive life terms in prison. And at H- Henderson's sen- sentencing, his lawyer argued that Shepard wasn't targeted because he was gay. Hmm. But like, I don't know. I don't know. And then McKinney's trial took place um, in October, November, 1999. And McKinney's whole argument was that um, McKinney and Henderson pretended to be gay to gain Shepard's trust. um, And then so they could rob him. And... Which is, like, such a stupid, like, I don't even fucking know. I don't, I, like, just want these guys to go to jail forever. Which they are, um, thankfully. But, um, basically they tried to put this, like, gay panic defense saying that McKinney was driven to temporary insanity by alleged sexual advances by Shepard. And the judge was like, that's like not cool like that's right. not <laughs> that's not an argument Some bullshit. um and 
Basically, the jury found McKinney not guilty of premeditated murder, but guilty of felony murder. And they were deliberating on the death penalty, but Matthew Shepard's parents brokered, so Judy and Dennis, brokered a deal that resulted in McKinney receiving two consecutive life terms, like Henderson, without the possibility of parole. So they were put in the Wyoming State Penitentiary, and now they're in like other prisons, apparently. They're still there today. And um, essentially, it they are in jail and um as we look back like today on it there's been a lot of change since then and a lot of recognition that matt's murder was a sort of catalyzer for a lot of the change we've seen um basically uh i'm trying to find examples that i wrote down of different things that have changed since then um so Bill Clinton, the president at the time, he attempted to extend federal hate crime legislation to include gay individuals. Mm. Um, after this, the a Hate crime, Crimes Prevention Act was introduced in the Senate and the House um, and passed by only the Senate in July 1999. Um, and in September 2000, both houses of Congress, and this is all because of Matthew, and so both houses of Congress passed such legislation, but it was stripped out in a conference committee, apparently. Um, fast forward to 2007, the Matthew Shepard Act was introduced as federal legislation um, and uh, sponsored by Democrat John Conyers. Um, mm. Shepard's parents attended the introduction ceremony. The bill passed um, the House. It passed the Senate. Um, but however... George W. Bush vetoed the legislation. Um, so the Democratic leadership dropped the amendment in response to opposition from conservative groups and Bush because the measure was attached to a defense bill that there was a lack of support from anti-war Democrats. So there's mm. like all this like political bullshit happening around us. Um, and on December 10th, 2007, congressional powers attached bipartisan hate crimes legislation to a Department of Defense authorization bill. And although it failed to pass, Nancy Pelosi said she was still committed to getting the Matthew Shepard Act passed. And she planned to get it passed in 2008. She failed at that. Um, following his election, Obama said that he was committed to passing the act. So it was kind of like passed along like baton. It, it just wasn't passed. Um, and then the House d debated it again in 2009 during the debate, um, uh, a representative, Virginia Fox of North Carolina, called the hate crime labeling of Shepard's murder a hoax. Um, yeah. And then, like, later she apologized. Um, Fox called her comments a poor choice of words, apparently. Hmm. Um, <laughs> which, like, no shit. Um, and basically, all right. So we get to. Finally, 2009, where the Matthew Shepard Act was adopted as an amendment by a vote of 63 to 28 in 2009. Senate passes it. Obama signs the measure into law on October 28, 2009. And there's still a lot of states that don't have um, hate crime laws to this day. Um, federally, there are, but state, there's like all these conflicts that still exist between hate crime laws federally and statewide, um, which is a whole other podcast. But 
Anyway, today, um, the most exciting news is that literally like just a couple weeks ago, they announced that Matt's ashes will be interred in the crypt of the Washington National Cathedral on October 26th, 2018. He will be the first internment of the ashes of a national figure at the cathedral since Helen Keller. Keller's ashes were interned there 50 years ago. And um, on Judy's case, she has started the Matthew Shepard Foundation. Um, and that's done, that's like raised so much money for like anti-bullying, anti-gay things. Um, and it, like that, she's just done so much for stuff and she travels around all the time and she talks about Matthew's story and um how we have to stop things like this and there have been countless like popular culture references to him like the Laramie Project and theater and his death really has sort of shined a light on the fact that you know this happens to gay people mm-hmm. and we need to be proactive in stopping it whether that's through legislation whether that's through art whether that's through conversations i mean i feel like that's why i appreciate him so much is because he has sort of brought that conversation to light and now i get to live in a time where like we can talk about it you know so i feel like there's a lot more to the story but i'm gonna say the end Okay, that was an hour. Really? Yeah. I guess there. I'm trying to figure out what exactly there is to talk about. Uh huh. Well, there's. You don't. I mean, we don't have to pick apart. I just. I think that you. We made some good observations along the way, and um, I just want everyone to know that you know his story should be shared, and it's not a pretty one. It's an extremely tragic story, but you know, um, I think that. We have to remember it. Why? Because you run into the same old cliche that history is doomed to repeat itself. And without vocalizing and sharing stories like Matthew's, we forget how easily these things can happen. Hmm. His attack happened in 45 minutes. It happened in 45 minutes from the bar to him tied to the fence post he was dead pretty much and you know i i want to feel safe where i am you know and i feel like i feel like he i don't know what it is about his story that i feel like is so necessary to know and to tell I just think what happened to him was so wrong that it it has to mean we have to do better. You yeah. Know? Like that, I, I want to feel safe wherever I go, you know? And I think I do for the most part. Yeah. And maybe part of that is because of his sacrifice, right? Maybe. I mean, if if hate crime legislation gets passed because of him and his death, then I'm protected, you know? I'm protected by that to a degree. Yeah. But at the same time, I think that um what happened there was there was no mercy for him and it was so wrong and it was so unfair that he 
had to be killed because of a guy who who was probably raised like a lot of people who d- didn't grow up around gay people and who didn't know other gay people and just had so much anger yeah. that that was who he had to take it out on. And I want to remember that that has happened and that that is a thing that can happen. Yeah. And as difficult as it is to stomach, it's real, you know? Yeah. But, uh, you're definitely more familiar with his mom, Judy, than I am. How does she look back on his death? Does she feel, and how how does she yeah. put it in the context of where society is now? Well, That's... obviously, I think she wishes that it never happened. And I wish that she, I think that she really wished that somehow Matt was able to go home that night, you know. But I think that because it did happen, she's been able to, um, embrace the fact that there is a real issue that we have and she has transformed herself into someone who shares her story and speaks out against hateful violence. And so she looks at it as an, a way for her to send the message out to the world that she, that we need to basically that basically this is unacceptable yeah that because her son died she is now sort of the carrier of this story and the i don't know what the word is but the person who's gonna travel around share matthew's story and say that we cannot stand for this anymore as a society yeah and she has embraced her and she has totally embraced that role um as the leader of the Matthew Shepard Foundation and as a public speaker that goes to universities and make sure that we do not forget that this shit happens and that we need to say this is absolutely unacceptable and yeah. do whatever we can to prevent it. And um, she writes in her book that, you know, she is not, um, she is a wallflower. I mean, she is introverted. She is not the life of the party like Matthew was. I mean, mm. she is a very private person who was thrust into the spotlight because of this incident and it's been hard for her to do that but she has done that role so well i Hmm. mean she has changed so many people's lives through this foundation um and i really admire her for that yeah Mm -hmm. thank thank god for moms right oh my god thank god for moms but yeah, I, like I said, read the meaning of Matthew, see the Laramie Project, like remember this story so you can um, understand that it is a problem, that it could happen again, and it still does. Yeah. It still does to this day, and we cannot accept that. Yeah. At all. I mean, hopefully at this point, everyone has... A queer person in their life. Yeah. Or at least they, well, I'm sure they do. Everyone does. But hopefully they know about it. And hopefully, at least what I think is hopefully that they can kind of extrapolate the story and be able to relate to it through the eyes of their friend. Yeah. Because, I don't know, it's hard to say be vigilant and then like, 
I don't want it to apply to only gay people. I don't want this to be a story that only gay people, queer people, whatever, remember. But I guess, I guess just what I hope is that everyone can build a sense of empathy relating to this somehow. And I think they can. And I think that's why it became such a huge story. But yeah, yeah I guess that's not forgetting is a big part of it. All right. Anything else? No, I'm good. I think I got it across, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Queer Street. We'll be back next Sunday with two more LGBTQ plus figures. Is there any other, is there any? I think we need to just say thank you and good night. Thank you. And good night. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, we have (laughs) recorded the first episode and we've done it. (laughs) We've made it through. Welcome to hour four of Queer (laughs) Street. I can't leave.